You're listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Podcast with Chris and Susan Beasley. Hi, it's Chris and Susan Beasley here with another episode of Living the Retirement Lifestyle. We are in our third season and our third season are a little more chatty podcast where we meet some great friends and we talk about the things that they are doing or have done in or approaching their retirement. So today across the pond, we have Mr. David Rozelle, who is the author of this most incredible book, which we are going to be talking about, which is described as a roadless traveled meets think and grow rich. Now that is certainly something to talk about. David, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Susan. It's a pleasure to be with you today. It was lovely. I mean, we've been chatting beforehand. It's almost like having a double podcast back to back. (laughs) I mean, tell us your experience of how you came to write this book and what inspired you to incorporate some of the amazing stories that people can find out when they read it. Yeah, well, what I found is I have two real core passions. Um, One is international adventure travel, and the other is helping people with their finances, specifically in the second half of their financial journey. And I realized that talking about finance, talking about numbers is a heavy, arduous topic for most people out there. Mm. And I thought, how could I add levity? How could I make this fun? So I decided to write the first financial planning book that was fun to read. And what I did is I start every every chapter with one of my more riveting travel stories after traveling to 75 countries around the world. Wow, Wow, that's a lot. The first one being London, which we could touch upon, England. And uh, and then um, without knowing it, it kind of just, it oozes into a financial lesson. And then when there's one too many graphs, it starts the next chapter with another travel story. That sounds pretty cool. So just before we came on, we I mean, I know I've got a particular tractor, chapter that really fascinates me, but Chris talked about one in particular, didn't you, about when you were at the time of the um, opening up of East and West Germany. So I think t- tell our, our listeners about that because I think that's a fabulous story. Yeah, well, back in 1988, I spent a year uh, attending a college uh, in London called Ealing College of Higher Education. And this program was for young entrepreneurs because I started my first business at the age of 15, as you know. (laughs) And um, all of a sudden, in an economics class, a German professor comes in and I was learning Spanish, not German, and said, (laughs) who would like to go to Berlin? And my buddy, John, and I raised our hands quickly. It was a chance to get out of class is the way we were looking at it. And we went to Berlin and it opened up our eyes. We crossed Checkpoint Charlie. We went into the East. Uh, It was an incredible experience. And the difference between the West, where there were Mercedes taxi cabs, uh, and then going into the Gray East. Uh, At that point, it was the height of the Cold War. And no one thought the Cold War would ever end in our lifetime. A year later, uh, I happened to be on break through school back here in the States. uh, And my buddy and I decided to go to Istanbul. And while our first day in Istanbul, we're looking at the televisions through a department store window. 
and we saw what looked like the Berlin Wall coming down. And we got on the next airplane, it was Jat, Air Yugoslavia, with axes in hand. We bought them with us. And can you believe we were able to bring them on the airplane at that time? And we landed in Berlin uh, November 9th, 1989, for what had to have been the largest party on the planet Earth. That's amazing. What a story to carry with you for the rest of your life and inspire other people to and you, and you knock got down walls, wall. knock down walls. And that's what is so important. So where is that piece of the wall now? That's what we want Well, to it used to be right behind me under Lucite, but I recently moved into a new home and said, you know what? I want to bring that to my house and enjoy it while I'm drinking a glass of wine in the evening. But how I incorporated that story into the book was I said, you know, the impossible became a reality. No one thought that wall would ever come down in our lifetime. But who would believe that 20 years later, the impossible would become a reality again when the financial walls came tumbling down in 2008? And that, of course, had a, a detrimental impact on all of us. Yeah, all around the huge, world. Huge, huge. And I don't think many of us, as we certainly experienced at the time, yeah, we saw we'd made all our financial plans, as you do, with the best advice, and we'd invested our hard-earned savings that aren't easy when we have five children and they've gone through university, and that's an expensive <laughs> pastime, but we put our money aside and we decided to invest in property, never knowing what was that was 2005 that was yeah and yeah, yeah. And it hit us and it actually wasn't for a further two years to be honest as we talked earlier um before we started recording this that we knew we had to do something because if we didn't we'd be in the same boat then as we today as we were then that's that's not possible um so you know People like yourself writing these kinds of books that are not dry. They are real life stories and they have a, a, a whisper, if not a shout of inspiration or motivation behind them is fabulous. My favourite is your Kathmandu story because we've always said, we want to go to base camp. I don't want to climb Everest, but we do want to go to base camp. So tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, a couple of years after school, um, after graduating from university here in the States, um, I decided to, I uh, had an opportunity. At the time, I had a summer business and Mother Nature forced us to shut that down for six months a year. So I would get my backpack, my, my camping stove, my sleeping bag, and buy a one-way plane ticket. And this time was to Kathmandu. And I decided to do a trek. I'd never done anything like this before called the Annapurna Circuit, which was 21 days long and took us up to 19,000 feet. Wow. Um, and that got me really uh, involved into uh, later on a passion for mountaineering and rock climbing and, and so on. Uh, but a number of years ago, I had an opportunity to meet a gentleman who's always been kind of my hero. And he resides in Seattle, Washington, and he's probably the best mountaineer that has ever walked the planet Earth. His name is Ed Viesters. Wow. And 
Ed is the only human being who not only summited Mount Everest seven times successfully, but has done so without supplemental oxygen. He then went on to climb all 14 18,000 meter peaks around the world successfully without supplemental oxygen. And in 2014, I had an opportunity to spend some time with him. And I'll never forget the time he said, you know, David, most people think our goal is to get to the top of the mountain, but that's not the goal that any experienced mountaineer would have. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you see, when you get to the top of Mount Everest, you still have the second half of the journey left and 80% of the accidents and 80% of the deaths happen on the descent. So our goal is to summit and get back down alive to our friends and family. And when he said to me that it's the second half of his financial, of the second half of his journey that takes on the most amount of risks and needs the most amount of planning, that was my aha moment to write this book. Because what I realized is that as people are climbing the financial mountain and putting aside money to get to that day of financial independence, They get to the top of the financial mountain. And for most people, it's the wealthiest day of their life. It's the last time that they're adding to these accounts. And now they're going to be living off of them for 20, 30, and sometimes 40 years as we have a lot more longevity in our lives. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's the second half of our financial journey that also takes on the most amount of risks and needs the most amount of planning. Well, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, yes, spot I mean, on. You know, because you're, as you said, you're not adding to it anymore. You're reducing it by spending it. And it's making sure that you've got enough to live the rest of your life. I guess a lot of people also want to leave a legacy for their children or their grandchildren. So there's got to be a bit left at the end as well, ideally. Yeah, and yeah. So most people, most successful retirees know exactly how much money they have, but they don't really have a clear idea of what their money can or can't do for them for the rest of their lives. Mm. If they live on a hundred thousand pounds a year, is that too much or do they have the ability to live on more? And if they go on that around the world trip or that African safari, is that negatively going to impact them financially when they're 85 years of age? Mm It's a scary, scary prospect. It's the thing we, like yourself, come across all the time. And sadly, what we're seeing is that people don't want to cross that bridge. They don't want to climb that mountain because they don't want to see what's on the way down. Hmm. Um, It's, yeah, we see it a lot. There's a a lot of people when it comes to talking about their retirement or thinking about their retirement, actually just stick their head in the sand and go, it'll be all right when I get there. Yeah, they turn a blind eye to it because back to that, it's a heavy, arduous topic. But the reality is knowledge is power. And if it is to Mm -hmm. be, it's up to me is the attitude that we all need to have. And of course, it's better to be working with a professional or reading up on this stuff when we're in our 30s and 40s. But all too often, we're just around the corner from retirement, and that's when we open up that book. Um, but you know, they say Warren Buffett, who many of your listeners know, he's one of the better investors of all time. Yeah. 
he said, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. Correct. So might as well get started and uh, open that book and, and see what the future looks like and what you can do to get your financial ducks in a row. Absolutely agree. Uh, I mean, and people, so many people haven't had that financial education from school, college, even career advice. So they have no expectation of what they should be doing for the future. And we were talking about this very briefly before we started. And you told me you've got a new book out, I think, which we've not seen yet. Can you tell us why you bought that out and who it's for? Because I personally, I think that is amazing. Oh, well, first of all, I had so much fun writing Failure's Not an Option, um, creating certainty in the uncertainty of retirement, that I felt like I still had another book in me, a book or two. And so many of the readers and so many of our clients said, you know, we know this isn't your demographic for your clientele, but we, we're looking for a resource for our children and grandchildren to help them with their finances. That's also fun to read. So I went back to uh, pen and paper, back to the computer, really, and decided to write another book that starts off with some more edgy, riveting travel stories that lead into financial lessons for people in the accumulation phase. And the title of that book is Keep Climbing, A Millennial's Guide to Financial Planning. Amazing. So you still got the climbing in there and that mountain, but it's slightly different perspective, isn't it? Exactly. Same concept, different perspective. And keep climbing. We're literally climbing the mountain. And in failure is not an option. We've reached the top and now we got to get back down to the base. Mm. I think it's really it is quite a scary prospect because we look at our adult children. They're all in their late 30s, 40s now. They've got we've got five grandchildren and you know they're most of them I mean they've they've got good very good career prospects and good jobs and that they do all of them because we've taught them do their best to to save and they have good pension plans um but it is a big issue for most youngsters they they just what little money they have, particularly now in, in very hard economic times that are coming, if not hit us already, um, there's no money left over for savings. So, you know, how do they make those plans? But I guess you, you're, it's your business. You know very well how to advise people that even one cent makes a difference. Yeah, good point. There's a picture behind me you might be able to see of uh, my grandma. And if everyone had a grandma Ruth in their life, there'd be no financial woes. I was going to ask you about her. I was going to ask you about her because I thought that that story, the power of what she taught you was amazing. Yeah, I was very lucky at a young age that grandma taught me some key financial lessons. Um, She said to me in my youth, I was 19 years of age, and she said, David, I don't know what your goals are if you want to be independent of the paycheck at a certain age or accumulate wealth, but if you don't need to do anything extraordinary to achieve that, 
And I said, what do you mean? She said, you just need to do some ordinary things extraordinarily well. Ordinary things like don't live on 100 to 110% of your paycheck. Live on 90% of your paycheck. Pay yourself first. Take that 10% and invest it for your future. I'll never forget when she said, David, would you rather have this one penny doubled every day for 30 days or a million dollars? So, of course, I said, Grandma, I'll take the million dollars, right? Wrong <laughs> She then went on to show me a chart that is so powerful. A picture says a, a million words that I put it into both books. And the one penny, of course, becomes two and then four, six, eight, 16. Yeah. And by the time you get to day 24, Believe it or not, you've accumulated $83,000. That's yeah. pretty impressive. 24 days of doubling a penny. But in the next six days, are you got your seatbelt fastened? You go from 83 to 167 to 335,000 to 671,000. By day 28, you're at 1.3 million. You double 1.3, you're at 2.6 and you double 2.6 million and you're at over $5 million. And this is what Albert Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world, yeah. the power of compound interest. Absolutely. And if we teach our youth these simple formulas, how money works, people would get to the age of 55, 60, 65, and they would have no financial worries. It's exactly right. And do you know the penny doubled story is something we talk about when we're on stage teaching entrepreneurship because it's like anything compounded. If you do it regularly, regularly, you see the results. We first read it in the book, The Slight Edge. Um, we talk about that book a lot with entrepreneurs that we work with. And we get them to read that story. But I think you sharing Grandma Ruth's analogy and metaphor, metaphor, whatever you want to call it, is so much more powerful. It's a personal experience. She, she also taught you, didn't she, to invest $2,000 a month for a very yeah. short period of time. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, such a powerful story for me. I, I put it in the book as well. Um, I was 19 and my summer business was making some really good cash flow for uh, someone of that age. And when you're a 19 year old male, you have two things on your mind at all times and automobiles are one of them, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so I got, I got financing from the bank. I like to say I was going to buy, but really it was the bank was going to buy me. Uh, a brand new Honda Prelude. And it was black on black and it had power windows and a power sunroof, Ooh. which was a big deal back then. And I'll never forget the way that grandma communicated with me in a very different way than maybe your parents do. And she said, David, it's going to be the most beautiful car of all your friends. It's just stunning. But I want to show you this chart. And the chart showed a 19-year-old putting $2,000 a year into 
an American retirement account. We call them IRAs or individual retirement accounts. And that was the max you can do at the time. And that person funds it for 2,000 years from age 19 to 27 and never puts another penny in. And just the power of compound interest in the average of a 10% rate of annualized rate of return, we'd have over a million dollars by the time we reached retirement age of 65. And then she showed the next chart is someone starting at age 28, which is still young, at the age when the first person stopped and funds it every single year up to age 65, putting in a lot more money. And they end up with $800,000. And if that person on the left side chart who started at 19 funded it every year to age 65, there would be over $5 million in that account. So that is the power of compound interest. And it's the power of learning the right financial information at a younger age, which is what I guess is in your, your, your next book or your other book. Yeah. And, you know, and Susan alluded to the point that a lot of people in you know, their younger years says, you know, the cost of living is expensive. Uh, inflation's at a 40-year high. And I get that. It's not easy. <clears throat> I cannot, there's no extra money at the end of the month. But that's where I ask them, I say, you know, do you ever go out for coffee or tea? And a lot of the people will say, yeah, every day on the way to work. And I'll say, how much do you spend on that? And a lot of people say, well, I get that double latte mocha oh, yeah. with the swirl on top. And, and they're telling me how much they spent on it. Five, six dollars. And then I'll ask them, do you ever get anything with it? Like a breakfast sandwich or a muffin? And a lot of people say, yeah, yeah, I get a muffin most of the time. And how much is that? And I'll say that's three to four dollars. But even if we take that five dollar cup of coffee or tea and you multiply that by the five days of going to work, that comes out to be a hundred dollars a month, twelve hundred dollars a year. That alone, starting in your youth, can turn you into a millionaire. It's not doing anything extraordinary. It's doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. So make your own coffee. Do you know, we've had this conversation with one of our children <laughs> because he's a police officer, love him, and he loves his job and he drives the cars and that's that's his thing. But... The lifestyle is the lifestyle terrible. is terrible because they are always in a rush. So they are always grabbing a coffee, grabbing right. a sugary drink, or grabbing a, a sandwich or a takeaway that is a very unhealthy anyway, and b that's money that they could be investing. Do you have a pic picture of your book, or can you show us your new book so I can let? Yeah. So here's a picture of failure's not an option, which I uh, I'm honored that you read, yeah. and that's a picture of an old. Well, we should talk about this. That's an old Morris Minor 1956 yeah. convertible with the yeah. steering wheel on the English side yeah. that I've owned for the last 20 years here in my beautiful hometown of Bend, Oregon. <laughs> I drive her every day to work in the in the summertime. Oh, I didn't realize and, uh, you actually owned that car. Oh, no. Oh, I own it and drive it every day. And she drives like a charm. And she has the trafficators that come out yeah. and... Uh, 
<laughs> we we people, have to come and check you out now to make sure that's yes, true, don't we? You do. Yeah. The first, I, I, you know, in the book is a story about the first Morris Minor I owned in New Zealand in 1990, which was yeah. the one with the paddy wagon doors in the back, more like a bread truck. And the second one has a cover of some millennials climbing a beautiful uh, mountain here uh, in the high Cascades of Oregon. Yeah. And that is Keep Climbing, a Millennials Guide to Financial Planning. And uh, the young lady climbing is uh, Brenna Hasty, And we worked together here at the office for many years. Oh, fabulous. Uh, we've got to we've got to get that, haven't we? We've got to get, that, get that for the children. Definitely. Definitely. But no, I mean, you've you've some fabulous, fabulous, fabulous stories. So let, let me just ask you one question, because this this comes from us, I guess, and what we teach our students and clients who come to us with being unable in any way even to raise enough money to have the kind of lifestyle of their retirement that they envisaged all those years ago, as we all do. Um, and we try and show them that there are ways to earn an additional income, for example, by starting an online business, sharing some knowledge or skill or freelancing, any number of things that can just give them that little bit extra. Mm -hmm. you, must, you must come across clients that you work with who that might perhaps be an idea what do you, what do you, your thoughts on doing something like that in later life? Yeah, I think multiple streams of income is how a lot of people accumulate wealth over time. Mm -hmm. An example would be that you, the two of you invested into real estate. Mm -hmm. um, when you invest into real estate or you start that online business, um, it's the difference between your son who's a police officer and he's working for money versus having money work for you. And so when you have that income coming in from the rental properties, when you start that online business and all of a sudden there's income coming in because people are purchasing online while you're in the police car, you're having money work for you versus you work for money. And if you can do both, then the magic starts to happen. It's not the only way to accumulate wealth, but it's a wonderful fast track way to do that. I think it's, I mean, Napoleon Hill talks a lot about it. So does Robert Kiyosaki. They're huge advocates of, you know, moving entrepreneurship. entrepreneurship and, you know, we're, we're like that. I, I guess we've both been entrepreneurial for all of our adult life. We've both been employed and had jobs, but most of our life we've run our own businesses of, of some kind. And it has absolutely given us that mindset shift towards entrepreneurship and, owning a business and of course you know doing what we did investing in property it has now after many years it's actually paid us back because one of our investments that we did manage to keep because it was a passion project was our ski chalet we had a ski we built renovated and turned an old rundown barn I think you call it, it you know gone barn grange they call them in France in French Alps and we turned it into a luxury ski chalet that was oh. an adventure <laughs> well skiing is one of my key <sighs> passions so I look forward to visiting you in London and then we'll go over to Chamonix and the French Alps you know that would be fabulous <clears throat> What I was going to tell you was that actually after all these years of doing that and having the rental income from it, we used to rent it out to a ski company, you know, a ski tour company. Um, 
because that's that's what our plan was and then wow we have actually just got a buyer for it and that's going to allow us to I suppose ascend a new mountain or maybe coming down the mountain should be quite exciting yeah, you know, that's a great example. While you bought that rental property, which took a lot of work on your part, especially doing it in a different country, you had to figure out some different things. You had the income coming in from the renters, from the ski tour company that paid for your mortgage and maybe even had a little extra cash flow. In the time that they've been paying your mortgage, that property has more than doubled in value. Now, you're able to get the income coming in and live off that income instead of using it to pay off the mortgage or sell that property in the second half of the financial journey and have a large inflow of money. And that's the difference of, of working for money and having money work for you. But Susan, you mentioned uh, Napoleon Hill, mm. and I want to bring him up for your listening audience, because no matter what age you're at, if you haven't read Napoleon Hill's book, his classic book called Think and Grow Rich. Wow. I first read it when I was attending school in London in 1988. The first thing he says in the chapter is you must read this book at least four times. I got so tired of reading the book that I then got to tape the cassette tape series back then. Um, and it's one of those books that even though it was written in the 1930s, here we are in 2022 and it's still ahead of its time. And the real premise is we become what we think about. It's using the largest muscle that we have, which is the one between our two ears. It is. You're absolutely right. And, and just to complete that story, we were so into the whole think and grow rich thing. But when, um, when Sharon Lecter came to the UK some years ago, um, she was presenting there and we made sure that we went to see her because we'd just been following the whole She's an ambassador story. And she was, she was an ambassador for the Napoleon Hill Foundation at that time. And she auctioned one of the very, very special leather bound copies of Think and Grow Witch. And I wish you'd asked, I knew you were going to ask me that because I haven't got it. It's down in my library downstairs. Oh. We bought that book. Nobody was going to buy it, and buy it except us. It, we didn't care what we paid for that book because yes. it was going to be our our Bible, if you like, of our, our future. And it has it's paid a dividend over and over and over again. So fantastic book, fantastic man. Yeah. And we've all come out of that. So, I mean, gosh, I don't know where the time's gone, this fabulous chat. We'd love to have you back to hear some more stories if you'd, if you'd agree to that. But uh, I would love to be back. So let, let me just bring this to a close and just remind everyone, this is the book that we've been talking about. It is Failure is Not an Option, Creating Certainty in the Uncertainty of Retirement. And that is something that we are all facing but there is a way out if you read the right books and you take the right advice so david thank you so much for joining us today thank you everyone who's been here listening with us live or who watches or listens to the replay we hope you will join us for a future living the retirement lifestyle podcast and show thank you bye for now bye for now thank you susan and chris 
This is the Retirement Lifestyle Podcast with Chris and Susan Beasley. 